Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Brodo Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm here with Matt today. Say what up to the people, Matt. What up, what up? So no Tim today, just me and Matt. And we're going to, if you live in in America, you know what's been going on. Um, We haven't released any content since mid-afternoon on Monday. This is the first piece of content that we're going to release since the Monday Night Football game when DeMar Hamlin collapsed. Um, Very, very good news this morning. They said he showed remarkable improvement and... Ian Rappaport actually tweeted out about an hour ago, we're recording at noon today, um, that he opened his eyes and was responsive, which is just incredible progress. Incredible news. So we just want, I just wanted to start the show by saying, uh, you know, much love and appreciation and just hopes and prayers to DeMar Hamlin, his family, the Bills organization, and hope everything continues in a positive direction that it seems to be going at the moment. Um, certainly, like, the best case scenario was that this never happened at all, but the fact that it did happen and the fact that he was on down for like nine minutes getting CPR on the football field and that he seems to be recovering at a fairly rapid pace is absolutely amazing. And uh, best wishes to him and his family. And we hope that, you know, that this recovery continues until he's maybe even back on the football field once more next year. You never know with these types of things, but Hopefully he just so, yeah. he's able to get back to a hundred percent at some time in the Absolutely. near future. And with that being said, we have a season long review pod today, so it's going to be a little bit different than the typical review pod. We still have the um, the news and notes to start. The we saw that coming and the surprise surprise. But rather than stock up, we have best picks of the year, and rather than stock down, we have worst picks of the year, and. One of the guys on the polarizing worst games. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, we'll get into it later on. You guys have to wait till the end of the show to to get into that. So stick around. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Tim's not here, so no, uh, no. Um, what what are those things called? The uh, when it goes from, I'm completely blanking on the word, Matt. The uh, the things that he plays. Oh, the transitions. The transitions. Yeah, no transitions. But the errors today, stick around, I guess. But the errors, yeah. <laughs> I stepped in for Tim and I'm blanking on words and let's see how many names I get wrong. (laughs) But um, yeah, with that being said, um, even though the fantasy football season is over or very close to being over, the fantasy football by Brodo app is made to be used year round. Um, Later on in the year, we're going to have player comps for rookies. We are going to have stats um, from this season and the previous five seasons fully loaded at all times on the app. Um, the player cards are going to be fully loaded and updated. Like just because it's the off season doesn't mean the fantasy football by Broto app should be deleted off your phone. We're going to have dynasty content year round now with Matt aboard. Um, We're going to have way more best ball content this season. Now that I've, I think proven to be a fairly solid best ball player. I would say (laughs) Um, (laughs) some, some Debbie content, like stick around and, Keep that app on your phone, and if you don't have it, download it because it could give you the edge over the off season as well. Um, it's not a time to sit back and you know just wait until next year, wait until August to pick up your phone again and start doing fantasy research. The earlier you start doing fantasy research um, and listening to our fantasy analysis, the I earlier mean, you get. All biases aside, that's legitimately what led me before I was ever on the team, me as a consumer to the fantasy football like app the broto app is player comps the rookie comps as i was looking for like 
player comps for dynasty that were more fantasy related that I was like, I don't care that these guys are the same height and like ran the same 40 i was like what's a comp that's going to tell me how many fantasy points these dudes produce over their career and yeah the rookie player comps that Cass, you know puts through are have proven to be very accurate yeah and and very you know a very interesting and helpful tool for you know getting ahead of the dynasty market in general 100 percent um and with that being said, also, if you want to support us and the app, patreon.com slash protofantasy, um, we have a bunch of uh, members in the Discord currently. You could come join that. We're just going to be even we have a whole bunch of channels and like not even talking about just fantasy football. We have a, a life channel where we keep each other updated in our lives, basketball, hockey. Like it's just a fun, great Discord to be a part of. Um, we have players who are winning in or who are going to win and receive championship belts from party belts of the patron leagues once we figure out what goes on with this final cincinnati buffalo game with that being said let's jump right into the news and notes because there is an update from adam schefter fresh off the press that uh adam schefter said um that the nfl is not going to he believes the nfl will not look to resume this game and that the league is working towards either a potential neutral site afc championship game or the one seed choosing between a, having a buy or home field advantage with the two seed getting whatever wasn't picked. So very interesting, interesting there. I personally, once the game was suspended, I thought if it's not played Tuesday or Wednesday, there's no way they're playing this. Yeah. Like you can't yeah, push. It shouldn't can't. be played in the first place. Like those two teams should not have to play each other after that scenario, knowing that they're both guaranteed to make the playoffs yeah exactly and if look if they're if they end up meeting each other in the playoffs i mean so be it that's a different story, i don't though. yeah, yeah like neither that. neither of them will argue against that but like there's no reason to force these teams to play against each other right now especially like like you said the chiefs are more than likely going to win this weekend lock up the number one seed regardless and uh it's just there's no reason for it and to push it like the idea anyway exactly yeah yeah and the idea to push back all the playoff games is absolutely asinine in my opinion of a suggestion like there are people who have bought tickets there's advertisements there's like planned parties and things like this that you can't just push back in into every single week of the playoffs like that just seems completely irrelevant and not a real option so i i expect this game not to be played at this point and then matt Obviously, there's a lot of talk about how to handle this in the fantasy football space as commissioners. Um, if the game isn't played, I think, in my opinion, you just have to eat the L. If you had Josh Allen and were down by like nine points or something like that, um, if you were down by one point with Josh Allen, maybe you could work something out. You discuss like if you're in a home league, you could discuss. But if you're in like a big money league or something and and you were losing, I don't really, like, it's a very, very tough situation, of course, but at this point, it just seems like the scores are going to have to stay as they are, and you're going to have to, if it's like a home league sort of thing, talk to the commissioner or talk to the player who is beating you um, or trailing against you and try to come up to maybe like a 70-30 split or a 50-50 split if it was really that close or something of that sort, but 
yeah there's, situation. there's a lot of different avenues to try to kind of like i've seen people want to take or accept like taking points projected like whatever the platform projected those players to get if they were in your lineup take that and, and obviously you know the opposite owners if that would entail them losing are not going to be overly happy with that but but I think the most important thing in this scenario is to, you know, remember the humanity in it all and that fantasy football is ultimately supposed to be for fun, even in those big money leagues. Like I know it's gambling, but but gambling as well should all be done in a controlled setting where you know that losses are potentials, right? So yeah, look at fantasy in the same way. I really do think it's more gambling than anything. And you have to accept that a return on investment isn't guaranteed. Yeah. Um, well said, Mr. Matt Ward. Um, with that being said, let's move on to the news and notes heading into week 18. Some teams still have week 18. If you play week 18, you should probably get that fixed. Um, week 17, yeah. week 17, was go back hard to enough. week 16, even. <laughs> yeah, week 17 was difficult enough with teams, wrestling players and things of that sort. But week 18 is just wild. But so it's probably gonna be a quick news and notes section. But let's jump into it anyways. Um, Brian Robinson did not did not practice on Thursday. Antonio Gibson's likely. Well, he's on IR, so he is out. So it's possible Jonathan Williams could be the RB1 yeah. for this week. That's an interesting um, DFS play for sure because his contract is obviously minimumed. Yeah, and if you play in Week 18, he could be one of those scoop and start type of guys because, I mean, no matter what you think about Brian Robinson or the Washington backfield, Brian Robinson's been getting like 30 touches a game. And if Jonathan Williams is alone back there, he could see 20-plus touches um, in a must-win game for Washington if they want to get into the playoffs. Julio Jones did not practice on Thursday. Oh, well, no offense, Julio Jones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, um, Julio. Antonio Gibson's on IR. This is I found this hysterical. Jets coordinator Michael Floor, offensive coordinator, said James Robinson is a big part of the team's plans in 2023. Like, how, how are we already getting ridiculously absurd offseason headlines and week 18 hasn't even finished yet? How How is he a big part of the plans in 2023 when they wouldn't even use him in 2022 <laughs> exactly he lost his job to udfa zonovan knight like and ty johnson and michael carter yeah. come on now dynasty little news and notes for you matt uh cardinals head coach cliff kingsbury said kyler murray probably won't be ready for the start of the 2023 season um are you buying low on kyler murray are you holding kyler murray are you maybe trying to sell kyler murray while he's still worth a couple first round picks probably in super flex leagues, you know, better than I do what his exact value is at the moment, but how are you, what's your general feeling towards Kyler Murray in, in the fantasy dynasty fantasy landscape? Well, I mean, yeah, I can give a little insight though. I am in a startup right now with a, a lot of really sharp analysts and kind of like, you know, dynasty minded, um, Twitter folk. Um, Kyler just went one, well, two, one, but one twelfth at the two, one turn. Um, so he is definitely still worth right now on the market, a pretty high value considering his startup ADP in the off season was around one, seven, one, six. Um, that five pick drop off isn't overly significant. Yeah. There's mm -hmm. definitely a little bit of juice to be squeezed out there. If you're looking to trade back, but it, it's still multiple first round pick territories. Knowing how long he's sitting out i think he's both i mean if you have him i don't necessarily want to trade him away um i still think kyler's an elite asset to be had in super flex leagues in one qb leagues is obviously they're a little more expendable for sure um 
I don't necessarily want to trade him away if his value is going to be insulated at that top 12 assets. Like it, it's fine to do so, but if, if his value is already insulated, like he's already injured, he's already not coming back immediately. We already assumed kind of a little bit October, but now it's looking, you know, maybe October, November. Um, yeah, that said, I, I think he's more of a hold than a sell or a buy. Fair enough. I feel like if you're, Maybe if you were, uh, you know, a middle of the pack team with older veterans, maybe offload him just to kind of start a little bit of a rebuild. But I could definitely see how he could be a buy. For sure. Yeah. Like, and definitely. I mean, if, if you're still in a rebuilding scenario and, and, you know, you're stacked with rookie picks and you're looking at like two later firsts or even, you know, a, a mid first this year in, in a, a first in 2024, like, I think that's absolutely incredible value to buy Kyler off of. But it's also risk laden, which is why I'm not necessarily like keen on that buy because of how insulated that value is. He's still going to cost an absolute premium, and there's a lot of risk attached here. Yeah. Um, next, Tyler Lockett is day to day with the leg leg injury that he suffered against the Jets was held out of Wednesday's practice. Not ideal for the Seahawks in a must win game this weekend. Uh, if the Packers lose and they win, they're in. So that's something to keep an eye on. And Ken Walker didn't practice, but Ken Walker hasn't practiced for, I mean, what, four weeks now? And he gets 20-plus yeah, touches when active. Yeah. <laughs> so. James Conner did not practice on Wednesday. That would be a huge injury if you play in Week 18. James Conner has been a very steady RB1 over the last several weeks or so, ever since his um, workload tremendously increased. He became just the workhorse back again. That would certainly be frustrating, even in a tough, tough matchup against the 49ers stout run defense. Um, that would suck if you have James Conner, who has likely helped you get to this point if you're playing in week 18. But that being said, I mean, it's just another a few more injuries that aren't necessarily important at the moment. It's week 18. I'm sure a lot of players are going to rest and a lot of, um, you know, a lot of teams are preparing for the playoffs. So yeah, I'm going to cut the new section GFS off right there. Sure. Yeah, and there's a lot of a uh, there's a lot of variants that could be taken a, a hold of this week for sure. Yeah, I mean, and we always see this. Yeah, and you know, Tim isn't here today, which means I get to cut off the new section a little early because I make the rules. I'm the captain now. <laughs> I'm the captain. Now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you were gonna jump into the segments. We saw that coming. Surprise, surprise! Best picks and worst picks. We chose three of each for you guys to you know get the full effect in our final review pod of the season so matt why don't you hit us with our first we saw that coming and again this is a season long we saw that coming so this is a player that you saw um you know you saw their season happening similar to how it played out prior to the season absolutely and i mean i'm gonna do honorable mention right off the top and shout out t higgins but i know the the listeners and and even new viewers are are keen to how dominant higgins has been to close out this season and and yes a regressing target share but the the production has been there um higgins was my hat hanger so very happy that he planned out but saw that coming is first saw that coming is chris olave and and i'll I'll bring it back to a tweet where i i tweeted out chris olave is going to mess around and lead all rookie wide receivers in points per game 14 games played 107 targets 67 receptions 982 yards that's 14.7 yards per reception only three touchdowns but still 13 one points per game as wide receiver 25 which obviously as i segued leads all rookie wide receivers in points per game 
And he commanded a 25.5% target share, uh, wide receiver 18, but a 27.7 target rate, which is targets per route. Um, that's 12th amongst all receivers this season. And he did it with a 14-yard average depth of target, wide receiver 10, and a true A dot, which is a Brodo exclusive stat that reduces like YOLO balls and, and uncatchable balls. It's essentially the depth of target with catch percentage um, added to it. And he ranks first amongst all players in true a dot with over a hundred targets this season. Like he's just an absolutely elite separator at all avenues of the field. And I knew it. Like I, I said, the way that this offense is going to run and, you know, not wanting to predict a Michael Thomas injury, but I was very, very, um, what's the right word? I was cautious, very vocal. Maybe. Yeah. Cautious, but yeah, very cautious, very vocally cautious <laughs> about <laughs> Michael Thomas, even being able to play another game for the saints at all leading into the off season right around when I kind of put this tweet out. Um, yeah. I mean, the way that this offense is going to run and going to continue to run is whoever's at quarterback is going to be forced to feed Chris Olave an insane amount of YOLO deep targets. And he is an insane converter of those targets like almost like nobody we've we've ever seen at a rookie level like and it's quite crazy to say but randy moss had a 14.8 yard a dot as a rookie and chris olave is 14 like it's it's that type of level of average depth of target not the same size as randy moss however no (laughs) (laughs) very different players and i'm not making that comp i'm just saying it is a truly elite level of deep separation that chris olave is capable of yeah and you were on the on the you know the pulse with it as a saints fan yourself they traded up to get him so yeah good call chris olave my first we saw that coming was a player who i faded heavily um alan robinson of the los angeles rams i i think some people may have forgotten that he was a fourth round pick for the most part this offseason and what ended up being a really dreadful year um, for Allen Robinson. My main concern was that while everyone was saying last year he didn't try, I said, you know, maybe he just isn't very good anymore and you shouldn't make up your own, you know, your own reasons why with, without looking at, you know, how he played and his performance. And it was very bad season for Allen Robinson. 10.3% target share, which is like, I don't even know who's someone who would have a 10.3 target share, Matt, like Tommy Tremble or something like <laughs> yeah, that's actually a good name. Drop. Like, really bad target share. Um, 79th in yards per reception, 74th in reception yards per game at just 33.9 end of the year. He ended up going on IR and missing um, several games, but 339 receiving yards, just three touchdowns was 42nd in true target value. And he was even worse than that. He was 63rd in PPR points per game. If you had Allen Robinson, he was like he could have easily been in one in the worst picks section, but you know I put him here instead, and what just ended up being a really really dreadful year. Um, yeah, so Allen Robinson was my pick here for saw that coming as I faded him heavily, and it certainly worked out. Yeah, I think that that was even with the injury, it's pretty safe to say that there was a large enough sample size of him being absolute dog water. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, hit me with your yeah. second. We saw that coming. My second, we saw that coming is Trevor Lawrence. Uh, April 22nd, 2022. Another tweet I wrote Trevor, Trevor Lawrence is a top 12 consensus quarterback in all formats. His startup cost is, 
you know, well outside of the range of, of his um, future trajectory. And then obviously a little thread about how bad Urban Meyer sucks. <laughs> but in the, in the past seven weeks, and shout out to my boy Ian Miller on Twitter for pulling these these um, stats. In the past seven weeks, there's only one quarterback with a higher PFF passing grade than Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow. Trevor Lawrence. And Dang. in that and in that frame of time, he's putting up 27.2 points per game. Like Trevor Lawrence has absolutely, you can't quite say generational, but if you take the last eight weeks, he looks like he was worth every bit of draft capital that was invested into him and absolutely, you know, showed the flashes of, especially that comeback win against the Ravens showed the flashes of, you know, what really makes a true generational quarterback. And I still think he doesn't quite deserve that pre-draft label yet, but he's Mm -hmm. earning it. He, he's certainly earning it. And in that time, too, since week 10, Trevor Lawrence has put up an eight and a half yard um, average yards per attempt. That's ranked fifth. 5.8% TD rank. That's ranked sixth. And the second overall offensive PFF grade of any player. <laughs> like, Not too shabby. The kid is, yeah, exactly. And I mean, yeah, just a throwback to uh, immediately, um, you know, at, before the NFL draft saying like, I, it doesn't matter where Malik Willis goes or these Kenny Pickett talks is my whole point is um, it was to a thread where Malik was projected to be a top fuck 10 dynasty pick. And it was like, would you trade one, one for Trevor Lawrence? And the answer was no, like uh, astoundingly no on Twitter. No, I wouldn't do that. And that's when I was like, no, you guys are all wrong. He's a top 12 asset. <laughs> yeah. He certainly has made that sophomore leap this year that and you know, in that startup that I was talking about, um, we know leading up when we were talking about the Kyler Murray value is Lawrence went one six and somebody traded up to get him. Well, who would you rather have right now, Kyler Murray or Trevor Lawrence? Honestly, probably Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, same here. I and and I'm Lawrence, but... I'm K one QB one. Like, <laughs> yeah. My second, we saw that coming is a wide receiver who he hasn't killed you by any means, but he did not live up to the potential um, of his. Very high draft capital this year. Was even going in the second round in some FFPC leagues. People expected him to jump into wide receiver one trustworthy territory this year. And that was Michael Pittman of the Indianapolis Colts. Like he's getting the work this year, but he, the quarterback play and the situation around him, that's what worried me. Um, I was not buying into the narrative that, you know, with Matt Ryan, he, because of Julio Jones seven years ago, Michael Pittman was going to, you know, jump up into this A1 status among the wide receivers. He has 96 receptions on the year, which is seventh in the league, and it's eighth in the league in targets with 136, but he has just three touchdowns, 895 yards, which is 23rd in the league. His true target value is 32nd. Um, Yards per reception is low at 94th, so they're not even really using him that much as that downfield threat. Um, His reception yards per game sits under 60. So this is a guy who his average depth of target is 6.87, 91st, which is just different than what you expect from Michael Pittman. Like he's become a more possessional closer to the line of scrimmage receiver because that's what they've had to do this year um, in Indianapolis, which is just not ideal. His PPR points per game is actually 24th. And that has a lot to do with his 96 receptions um, out doing his 32nd ranked true target value, but only two games this year as a wide receiver one. And he just, he has not been who you wanted if you took the risk on him in the second or third round this fantasy season as a top 12 wide receiver. He hasn't killed you, but I don't think there's anyone who is happy about selecting Michael Pittman where they selected him. 
No. And I, before I, I continue, I just kind of realized that that your your we saw that comments are much more negative than mine. And they're also like I gave you pushback on both of those players in the preseason. And I realized Mike's just like rubbing it in my face. That he was right. I actually I threw someone in there next just because we have like a, you know, a back and forth about him. You'll see who I'm talking about. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I didn't even remember a Robin Pittman, but I'm sorry, Matt. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all right. I'll 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 de- I'll willingly take those L's. They were not. I I mean, my whole disposition was I was like, I just don't think that a Rob is dust. Well, I, he's definitely dust. He's dusty, dusty dirt sauce. Uh, dusty, but... dusty dirt sauce. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into my my next one. Um, actually, you know what? First, a, a few more honorable mentions because I, I really wanted to do Rondale Moore. We saw that coming. Like at the start of the season, at the end of the year, I was like, I can't wait to do the review pod and be right about Rondale Moore. And obviously, IR and and that team just being a, a mess of injuries was pretty bad. We had a little mini breakout, seventeen point eight points per game over a four week span, where he had a over twenty percent target share. But and then obviously Brandon Ayuk, who I love, who just put up a last, you know, oh week winning or league winning i suppose because it was in the fantasy championship game um gonna finish as a top 25 wide receiver top 24 wide receiver uh 13.8 points per game wide receiver 17 overall but this spot is specifically reserved for a last run of Devontae smith propaganda i've pounded the table over and over and over all season for Smith as a dynasty buy. I always bring the dynasty perspective, obviously. Um, superstar player. I thought he was well under drafted, well underrated in dynasty startups and redraft leagues as well. I thought he was going to put up an incredible season, had such a quiet and phenomenal rookie year with his, you know, incredible air yard share, incredible target share, um, just kind of lacked the upside production that Jalen Waddle and Jamar Chase had. So people weren't really talking about it because he was overshadowed by other rookies. But now has outproduced Waddle, uh, outproduced Chase in, in this span as well, and outproduced A.J. Brown. In the, in the last half of the season has been one of the craziest revelations for Devontae Smith as a true superstar wide receiver because he's outperforming one of the best wide receivers in the NFL over a seven game span. And, and yeah, his points per game and season long production are definitely skewed by what was a a very rough start to the season. Um, But 88 receptions, 1,129 yards, seven touchdowns alongside a true alpha. And, again out target him in six of their last eight games and has outproduced him in five of their last six like except for that titans game De- mm-hmm. Devontae smith is just a true superstar wide receiver and I, because of his you know predisposition of his weight and his size and, and being alongside a, a high money guy and a guy that they paid all that cash to that also earns 25 percent of the targets he's never going to be valued or viewed at the type of producer that he is yeah, it's been a a lot of fun over the last like five or so weeks. If you have Devonte Smith on your roster, he had a little bit of like a a, a slow spell um, earlier on in the season, but he has For really sure. bounced. It back was kind of rough, that. definitely. But he has bounced back from that like tremendously, um, which makes no me even think like. It. I know I'm not going to remove that that sample size. Obviously, you can't do that. He needs to earn those targets and produce, especially when Dallas Goddard is on the field. But Goddard is back, and and you know there was obviously some early season narrative to well he can't do it with AJ Brown and Goddard. But yeah, it it, it makes hey, me think last like, week yet to even reach his ceiling. Yeah, I'm telling you, that uh that offense. I'm not sold on the Eagles winning the 
Super Bowl at the moment, but uh, I do know for sure it's going to be very difficult to stop that offense. To have that many weapons on one team is is something. And that defensive line, dude, it's, it makes no sense. They have seven dudes with double digit sacks or something like what? Yeah, they uh they have they have put together quite the team um this season. That was your final. We saw that coming, yeah. So I'm gonna Indeed close it, it out here um with with two for you. The first one, shout out to Matt. I had to just throw him in here just like for fun. The other guy's like my main one, but Cole Komet. Because <laughs> we discussed Cole Komet prior to the season. Um Cole Komet ended up with he's nineteenth in PPR points per game among tight ends with eight point one yeah. per game. Um, obviously not ideal. He does have six touchdowns, which have come recently, which have buoyed him a little bit, but less than 500 receiving yards, less than 50 receptions on the year. Um, obviously, if you drafted Cole Komet, hoping he was going to be a breakout type five tight end, he, that didn't happen. Um, but I just want to poke some fun. Target share is still you. nice, though. <laughs> the target share still is is pretty solid. 18% target oh, share. <laughs> yeah, like, fuck. I mean, maybe Rough. maybe next season. If he drops down to like tight end uh, 18 plus in ADP, I'll have some shares of Cole Komet. We'll see. <laughs> but my main, we saw that coming, was a guy who was a, a a pick of mine late in best ball drafts fairly often, one of my most roster wide receivers. That's Zay Jones of the Jacksonville Fire. Jaguars. Um, 78 receptions on the year, 15th in the league, 115 targets, which is 18th in the league, 22nd in true target value. 28th in PPR points per game has 800 receiving yards on the year. Um, five touchdowns on the year. He in weeks 14 and 15 and in the stretch from weeks 12 through week 15, he was a top seven wide receiver in three of those games has not been too great over the last couple of weeks, but he has been even better than I imagined this season. The downs were there, which you have to expect, but the highs were very high. Um, so shout out to Zay Jones, who, was outside the top, what I think, 60 wide receivers in ADP. Like, I think it was like 72 wide receivers, 72 in ADP. Yeah, I was getting him in the last round of underdogs, underdog drafts um, in redraft leagues, 12-man redraft leagues. He basically wasn't on radars in typical home leagues, and he ended up, he's currently a top 30 wide receiver on the year. So shout out to Zay Phenomenal Jones. season from Zay. Yeah. <clears throat> And with that, we are going to jump into the next segment, which is a surprise, surprise players who throughout the season surprised us and, uh, you know, maybe had better seasons than we expected or worse seasons than we expected. I'm not sure which way you went with it, Matt. I went with uh, a little bit of both. Apparently, I'm the negative yeah, guy. I got a little bit of both. the pod today. But for me, I'm starting it off. I'm going to start off this time since you started off the last one with Amari Cooper, man. Amari Cooper was someone who was falling out of grace with the fantasy football world he ended up he started at the end of the year man in like early september late august he started going in like the seventh eighth round outside the top 30 wide receivers like nobody wanted to touch amari cooper with the 10 foot pole and because of that adp drop he now has an a fantasy grade for the season in proto fantasies true player grades his 12th in the league in reception yards at 1109 nine receiving touchdowns on the year which is fourth in the league 76 receptions He's 19th in reception yards per game. Even though he's 26th in the true target value, he's 17th in PPR points per game at 14.6. And he's been very consistently healthy as well. Um, 10th in the league overall in fantasy points scored in PPR among wide receivers. 17 big plays on the year, which is top 10 in the league. A 25% target share. Like 
anything you could say about Amari Cooper, he has uh, surpassed expectations this year. Um, I know I was certainly a skeptic going into the season with Jacoby Brissett after playing with Dak Prescott and having some down seasons. But, I mean, he's had several top 12 um, performances this year, including a a uh, 25 and a half PPR point performance in championship week against Washington to secure a win likely if you had him. So shout out to Amari Cooper who, and even though he's like, he was great with Jacoby Brissett, it's been worse with Deshaun Watson as Deshaun Watson has had to, yeah, which is certainly shocking. Um, so a bad three game stretch there from weeks 13 to 15, but got it going a little bit in the bad weather game against new Orleans and then crushed it in week 17 on just four targets, three for one Oh five and two touchdowns. So shout out to Amari Cooper, who certainly surprised me this year, establishing himself as a rock solid wide receiver too, and with wide receiver one upside on a week to week basis. Yeah, I absolutely agreed. And I was very low on Amari coming in. So that would have been, a, I mean, certainly a surprise for me. I think for everybody as well. I mean, like you said, the, his ADP was getting blasphemous. Yeah. My first surprise, surprise. I mean, this is the biggest surprise, I think, for anybody. I, I don't know one analyst, any person, nobody. There is not a single person that I think openly said that Geno Smith was going to be a top 12 quarterback in the next <laughs> game. Dude, I Geno Smith, not to cut you off, but my, my Scott Fishbowl team started off 12-0, and 0, largely because I drafted Drew Locke and Geno Smith back-to-back. To just sort of secure, <laughs> yeah, to secure one of the one of the starting quarterbacks, and Geno Smith ended up being a star for me in the Scott Fish. Yeah, it was uh, Kirk Cousins and, and Geno. Unfortunately, I ran into a few buzzsaws in Fishbowl, and and my my overall team couldn't supplant the the other bad picks that I made. But hmm. yeah, man, I mean, nine years, nine years in the NFL, written off by every other NFL franchise for the Seahawks. And to quote Gino himself, luckily he didn't write back. Finally given the chance to lead his team, put up QB1 season, like I said, 18.7 points per game. That's ranked QB8, 29 touchdowns, 4,069 yards. Both are obviously career highs, but they're also top seven amongst all quarterbacks in the NFL. Seventh in yards, fourth in touchdowns, league high 70.2% completion percentage, only nine interceptions. And he's also added a little nice boost of 315 rushing yards with one touchdown. Um round that out to a, an even 30 total TDs on the season with one game left. I mean, I, my obviously, I think the biggest surprise for any fantasy asset in the NFL period was a 32-year-old Geno Smith in his ninth year in the league becoming <laughs> an absolute, an, an all-pro quarterback. Like, he's going to make yeah. the pro. And not like, not like a sham either. Like, good... No production and good throws and smart decisions and highlight highlight plays yeah like there's you know the the Patrick Mahomes back foot cross body corner pass to DK Metcalf in week 12 I think like that's one of the best throws you're going to see this season yeah fair enough Geno Smith probably is the number one option here I'll give that to you <laughs> my my second surprise surprise here is a running back who did not start playing well he played but he didn't you know, he didn't start playing, playing until week seven. And that's Deontay Foreman, who, look, Deontay Foreman, he didn't win you your championship or anything. He had three and a half points championship week. He had 0.9 in week 15, but there were certainly down weeks. But to see Deontay Foreman come back from the injury, the injuries that he had 
take over when Christian McCaffrey was traded and to have the games that he had was just remarkable. And I don't think anybody really saw that coming. He has 846 rushing yards on the season, which is 20th in the league, despite not taking over the backfield until week seven. Um, He has five rushing touchdowns on the year. He was averaging over 50 rushing yards per game. Like, and this is a guy who wasn't even involved in the rushing game. It was just, I'm excuse me, the pass catching game. So it was just rushing and he still had three different top 10 RB performances, several RB two performances. They're obviously down games, but like he helped you a lot. Several weeks, 16 and a half against Tampa over 30 points against Atlanta, 20 points against Atlanta, 12 and a half against Denver, 23 and a half Detroit in a semifinals matchup like Deontay Foreman after everything he's been through to see him, uh, become a fairly reliable and big game type of running back in a what was supposed to be like a Don Trout in Carolina offense after they got rid of um, Christian McCaffrey, but somehow the rushing game got even better when they got rid of Christian McCaffrey. Certainly a don't pay running backs type of argument there (laughs) if you you see what happened with Carolina. But man, uh, shout out to Deontay Foreman who maybe like a against the grain type of pick because it's I could have probably chosen someone like who it. was more obvious, but I thought Deontay Foreman deserved a shout out for the way he played after uh, everything he's been through and the way he was able to get his um to get his chance. For sure. And I mean you obviously don't want to see down games, but there is kind of a silver lining to that where he was incredibly like matchup based. Like you could easily be like, oh well he's playing the 49ers. Let's bench him you know and then oh he's playing the lions obviously start him like it was kind of, the falcons start him like the Bengals bench him right so it was like obviously you don't want down weeks of production but it's nice to have a guy that is incredibly predictable in that sense where it's like if he's facing yeah. a top 10 rushing defense he's going to you know have a rough game if they're a bottom 10 he's going to smash as a top 15 asset so i do kind of like that <laughs> um hit me with your second my next surprise, one surprise matt also a running back and i mean I don't think anybody really predicted this and sure he was a a favorite handcuff and definitely like a dead zone running back guy that people liked, but Tony Pollard coming in and averaging 16 and a half points per game as an RB one while coinciding with like, it's not like Zeke was injured all season. Yeah. His little Tony's breakout kind of came when Zeke was benched due to injury uh, where he had three top six RB performances, but then he's put up three top six RB performances with Zeke back in the lineup. And Zeke has also had three top six RB one performances in that span. If Pollard's finished with 988 rushing yards in the fantasy season, obviously they might put up a few more in this final game, but so far 988 rushing yards on just 186 attempts, 371 receiving yards on 39 receptions, 12 total touchdowns. That's just a 48.7 opportunity share RB 34, 16 and a half points per game with RB34 opportunity share. And it could have been a saw that coming as well, because one of the things, you know, so great about the Broto app is last season, he was all over the, you know, um, the exclusive stats page in our true value Olympics. One of the series that I, I put out for fun, he was just dominating all of these categories of like, wait a second. He's the only running back with 150 touches that has more than six yards per opportunity in scrimmage yards over expected. And he's the only running back with over 50 receptions that has this many, you know, yards per. And I was like, if they just give Tony Pollard volume 
will he be able to maintain that efficiency? And I think that's what the most surprising and shocking thing is, is the slightest uptick in volume. And he maintained efficiency across the board. And it led to what will be an RB1 overall and RB1 in points per game finish. Yeah, I'll tell you, look, I liked Zeke this year at ADP. I think he ended up like not not really surpassing a bit, per sa- per, a little surpassing it, but certainly not busting at that ADP either after the uh, the stretch that he had to close out the season, which was a pretty remarkable stretch. Um, but, man, it's it's a shame that it took this long for us to see Tony Pollard get the amount of work that he's currently seeing. Um, the dude is a monster, and he, he would be an easy top five pick in fantasy next year if it was his backfield alone. And I, I don't even think that's debatable. Like if, if Zeke wasn't on the roster. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I legit think, think yes. 100% yeah, top 10 at least. Yeah. I mean, I'd consider him number one overall, if I'm being honest, like that's how good he's been when he's had a backfield to himself. Uh, my final surprise, surprise. This one is where the downturn comes. And it's just a guy who he was being drafted as a wide receiver three. Um, He had a tremendous 2021 season. 103 receptions on 128 targets, 1,038 receiving yards, and nine receiving touchdowns and route to being a top 15 wide receiver in like a uh, in what was not expected to be a breakout season for him. And everything came cash, crashing back down to earth this year. And that's Hunter Renfro. He's been hurt for several weeks in the season, but when he hasn't been hurt, he has not been good either. The game against Pittsburgh in week 16, where he went four for 42 and a touchdown was his only helpful game of the year. And the only touchdown that he's caught 29 receptions on the year, 267 receiving yards. If you, he has 45 and a 45.2 half EPR fantasy points on the season. That's almost as much as Mike. That's like what? Three points more than Mike Evans scored this past week. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just been a, dreadful dreadful season for hunter renfro and i don't even think you could entirely blame the injury that he went through because it's just been dreadful outside of the injury as well we knew it would be a tougher battle for him to gain fantasy um appeal this year with Devonte adams joining the team and darren waller already there but it was hard for me to see a 100 catch 1000 yard nine touchdown receiver not at least returning flex value. Like I thought he was a safe, decent pick at ADP. I certainly wasn't hyping him up, I mean, but I also was wasn't really avoiding him. Collins. Yeah, exactly. Mac Collins has been the, the wide receiver too on that team. So it's just been a dreadful season for Hunter Renfro. And it's something that surprised me um, after the, the breakout season that he had in 2021. So Matt, hit me with your final surprise, surprise before we get into our best picks of the year. I mean, mine, mine's a down one too. And and keep in mind that even like with, with the Pollard and, and Devonte Smith, it's, I'm always trying to bring the dynasty perspective. So it, for me, it's Jalen Tolbert. <laughs> like, like what the fuck happened to Jalen Tolbert? The yeah. Cowboys just lit a third round pick on fire, bro. They wouldn't even let him see the field. He, that was, he was by far my, this is a huge L for me too. So I have to concede that I'll get that off the top. Take an L for me. Take my, like, I have a very good rookie hit rate. This was not one of them. He was my favorite sleeper pick of the 2022 draft. His, I didn't think his consensus value reached with his territory. He had a phenomenal, like, collegiate profile, polished runner, great timing, a 51.2% dominator rating, 33.4% target share. Like, everything was 90th percentile or higher. And he's had two receptions on three targets for 12 yards in eight games. 
in eight games, not because of injury, the yeah. other six or other eight, rather, he was a healthy scratch. Yeah. Yuck. Yeah. I mean, he his snap share right now ranks as wide receiver 196 in the NFL. <laughs> like the Cowboys literally looked at Jalen Tolbert and were like, your your presence on the field is a detriment to our roster. Yeah. I mean, he was so I didn't see that he coming was, at all. He was the, you know, the rookie darling of a lot of fantasy, well, was, you know, dynasty. Nobody players. really saw Noah Brown being anything other than a roster clogger. Uh, Michael Gallup, obviously, we were going to miss six to eight weeks with the knee injury. It seemed like Jalen Tolbert drafted in the third round was just going to be the wide receiver two there. He wasn't even the wide receiver four. Yeah. And he, uh, like, it's not even like he had bad draft capital. Like, he had decent draft capital for, like, the for the type of prospect that he was. Absolutely. It did not, uh, it did not pan out for him, though, by any means. Um, with that being said, we're moving on to our best picks segment, folks, which is the best picks of the year based on preseason ADP. Um, could be anyone. Could be no one. Who knows? Let's see. Matt. Who's your first best pick of the season? I think uh, one of the best picks of the season was late round hero, dead zone running back, Josh Jacobs. Ayo. Josh Jacobs had never received an opportunity share above 80% at any point during his NFL career. And, you know, was largely labeled a first round, I don't want to say bust, but disappointment and certainly dynasty disappointment in general, because he was one of the top, you know, three picks of his class. Um, but now the first season that he has received an 83 and a half or an over 80% rushing share beat myself to my punchline. He's leading the league with 83 and a half percent, 323 rushing attempts for 1,608 yards, first in carries, first in rushing yards, but also 51 receptions for 395 yards and 11.9% target share. That's seventh in receiving yards, 10th in receptions for the position, fourth in touchdowns for the position with 12 total TDs, 20.1 PPR points, first in yards created, second in evaded tackles. Like, Josh Jacobs is an absolute monster when he's finally yeah. given the opportunity in, in an offense that knows how to create for the running back. And that is obviously very much a Josh McDaniels offense. And that's kind of the whole dynasty perspective of it too, man, is he was a very late pick, a guy that was faded and being sold for seconds. And now you have a 24 year old running back that can certainly maintain an 83.5% opportunity share with high-end production. And if he doesn't re-sign with the Raiders, I guarantee Josh Jacobs will be one of the most highly sought-after free agents on the market. And no, maybe he's not going to see Zeke money because I think the NFL is getting wise to what they should spend on high-valued running backs, but he's going to be placed in an RB1 role on a high-functioning offense that wants to see him succeed with the same success that he saw this year and if that's with the Raiders great if not I still think he was well worth the value yeah it was pretty wild like to see the Raiders they didn't even pick up his fifth year option man <laughs> no and it's just like wild to think how good he's been um he and it, it hasn't it has been volume based but it hasn't been volume based if that makes any sense because he's, he's been efficient, efficient. Yes. yeah with the touches even though the volume has gone up tremendously so it's very yeah, oh, interesting. One of the things I, I did, did miss is that efficiency, you know, fifth in breakaway runs after he had zero runs over 40 yards through his first three seasons. And Crazy. now he has five in one year. 
Yeah, it's wild. <laughs> Absolutely wild. But I, I think he was the uh, definitely the best pick here um, for for best picks. So good work with Josh Jacobs there, Matt. I'm going to go with a, a guy who just, man, oh, man. People were ranking him outside their top five QBs this year because he lost Tyree Kill. And I said, you crazy motherfuckers are letting Patrick Mahomes fall to like the fifth, sixth round. He was one of my most rostered quarterbacks in redraft leagues. Um, because once we got to the fifth, sixth round, I was like, how do you not take Patrick Mahomes? And Patrick Mahomes proved to be Patrick Mahomes. What are the odds? This guy is an absolute animal. He has 417 completions on the year, 5,048 passing yards, 40 passing touchdowns, averaging over 315 yards per game, leads the NFL in big plays, seventh in deep completion percentage, like four rushing touchdowns, 329 rushing yards, and 58 rush attempts, all top 10 in the league. First in the league in scoring, is averaging over 25 PPR, well, any points per game because he's a quarterback. Just absolutely, absurdly great. And he has been so, so, so consistent. He does not have a single game this season. He has three games this year under 20 fantasy points. Two of those were 19.4, 19.8, and one of them was 17 and a half. Like, he does not have a single bust game. A 35-point game, a 30-point game, a 34-and-a-half-point game, like a 32-point game throughout his playoffs in Difficult matchups on paper against Houston, Seattle, and Denver, 32 and a half, 23 and a half, 26. Like Patrick Mahomes (laughs) has been in my redraft leagues. My best teams were the one where I drafted Patrick Mahomes. My best underdog team where right now if stats end as they are, I'm going to end 14th overall in the Pomeranian, which is pretty fucking cool to end that high in a contest with like over 6,000 people. And that is largely because I had Patrick Mahomes on my team and another person who I'm going to add as a best pick later on that you'll see. He has just been everything you wanted and more, even without Terry Kill, even without, like, name a wide receiver from the Chiefs that has been trustworthy this year. I mean, I love Juju, but he really hasn't been trustworthy. MVS nope, has, been, has been buns. Michael Hardman had a couple good games, got injured. Kadarius Tony is Kadarius Tony. Like Sky Moore hasn't done much. Sky Moore could have been in the Jalen Tolbert slot for the surprise. Surprise, to be honest. Wild. It's been wild the way he's got into five thousand yards as well. Just spreading the ball around, making absurd plays. Like that that little toss to Jarek McKinnon on the sideline that he ended up running for fifty yards. It's just like no one else makes these plays except. Patrick Mahomes and that last rushing touchdown to the left-handed push-up beautiful yeah like what are we even doing with this kid bro (laughs) that's that's why you do planks to practice for moments like that like absolutely unreal the way he was able to touch the pylon and extend his body and get that touchdown scored he's just proving to be honestly one of the all-time greats at the QB position and this season was just absolutely absurd to see that sort of production in a year where the quarterback drop-off really I think set a new level of drop-off like it's been a very rough year for quarterbacks in general and Patrick Mahomes said oh well I'm still Patrick Mahomes and just absolutely dominated all season long so Matt hit me with your first best pick uh excuse me second best pick Second best pick. Yeah. I mean, man, specifically from Dynasty, I I can't believe we got the value on Daniel Jones that we did and the production that we did from this kid. Brian Dable has turned that kid around, and I do not think that the Giants are looking to pivot, to be honest. I I think that, you know, they they didn't necessarily extend because they wanted to see how he functions with Dable and if Dable is comfortable with him moving forward, and it certainly appears so. 
He threw for over 3,000 yards for the first time since his rookie season, 3,205, 15 touchdowns, only five interceptions this season, started every game, but made his money as the quiet Konami King, 708 rushing yards and seven rushing touchdowns. Like When we're talking about fantasy production and a guy that was drafted as like our or QB 25 in even super flex leagues, it's a virtually free top 12 quarterbacks averaging 18.1 points per game as the QB eight on the season. I think Daniel Jones was absolutely one of the best picks. And because I play super flex, mostly like genuinely just can't believe that I was able to fade the position almost all season. And because of that variance that you were talking about, where you could almost play like hero QB and then a late round, you know, sleeper QB sort of thing and have way better production than if you went back to back, like, um, you know, 11 and 12. Yeah. Yeah. No arguments there, Matt. No arguments there. Short and sweet on that one. Yeah. <laughs> My second best pick this one, uh, you know, Tim wasn't here today um, on this podcast. So I did this for him. You know, I give him a lot of shit, but fine. I'll talk about Amon Ross St. Brown for you, Tim, who ended up being <laughs> a massive pick at his ADP. Um, which ended up falling to like the fifth, sixth round. Sometimes out, you could get him outside of the top 30 wide receivers. Like people just weren't buying into the late surge from last season for Amon Ross St. Brown. And that ended up being a mistake. He's seen 137 targets this year, 100 receptions, 1,112 receiving yards, and six touchdowns. He's been a very, very solid high end wide receiver two slash wide receiver one the entire year. And he had two games this year. Like one game he put up, um, 3.8 where he was limited against New England. He put up 0.9 against Dallas. Like these were games where he missed a game and then he was like not playing a full allotment of snaps. And it was just like those games were rough. But when he's been healthy and fully active, he has been absurd. He's been a clear must start every week. I mean, he started the year 16 and a half and 36 points. And then once he got past that injury and limitations of snaps and such halfway through the season he went off again 24 against buffalo 30 against jacksonville like he was not ideal in the playoffs um i'll give you that 11 and a half 11 and eight and a half you want more than that in the playoffs from a uh from a guy like Aminar st brown but overall he clearly outplayed his adp um and he was just i think he's proven at this point like i don't think anyone could go into next season saying can Amon Ross St. Brown be a thing this year? Like, it's clear clear he's a thing. He's a very good NFL wide receiver, and that's not going to change. So Absolutely. shout out to Tim and Amon Ross St. Brown, who ended up being a very, very valuable pick at his depressed ADP this year. So, Matt, give me your final best pick of the year. And I want the same with you. I was a little hesitant here because I wanted to really accentuate guys that that, you know, were the best pick because they also could have brought you home the fantasy championship. And I will admit Ramondre Stevenson didn't have the best final week in fantasy, but I couldn't leave this podcast without calling him yeah, one of the best picks. picks in Dynasty this week. Yeah, one of the absolute best steals. And I mean, even more so than like a Josh Jacobs dead zone, like Ramondre wasn't really on anybody's radar as somebody that could produce top 12 numbers. He was really seen as a handcuff and a, maybe he could take a little bit of the James White role, um, which is always yeah. said about Patriot running. But he really did this season. He really did take that role. And then when Damian Harris went 
went down. He completely took over the rushing production as well. And when Damian Harris came back, it did not matter. I think one of the most important and slept upon things that needs to be immediately said about Ramondre is he put up 986 rushing yards on just 204 attempts. Like he'll probably crack a, a, a thousand yards if they, if they play him this week. And I feel like that gets incredibly overlooked because of what a monster he is in the pass catching department, catching 64 balls, 393 yards, 17.4% target share to go alongside six total touchdowns. Like whatever silly fantasy football idioms you want to use ultimate hero dead zone PPR superhero cheat code. Like they all describe Ramondre Stevenson 14.7 points per game is all you need to know. RB 12, an insane run of seven RB one finishes in a nine week span. And in that nine week span, obviously the most RB one finishes of any player in the NFL during that stretch, he was the RB one overall from weeks or yeah, eight, eight through 15. So, I mean, the kid was an absolute, stud and somebody that if he was on your roster or if, if people were silly enough to fade him out completely and you picked him up off waivers which obviously happened in in a few seasonal leagues like yeah absolute monster rb6 yeah. to 13 or, or week 6 to 13 sorry I, I had to get that out right yeah um certainly a tremendous pick like i don't I, like he how many games in a row did he have a target share over like 18% or something too? Like he had a crazy stretch of receiving um, points during that time as well. So shout out to Ramondre Stevenson. My final best pick of the year. I went with the opposite of uh, like Amon Ross St. Brown. And like you said, someone who really brought home the championship for you. One of my most rostered running backs in best ball this year, because I saw a path to opportunity after a tremendous playoff run last year. and stacked him with Patrick Mahomes and this is a league where I ended up 14th overall um in the best ball tournament and that is Jarek McKinnon throughout the year Jarek McKinnon was a afterthought in redraft leagues he was a handcuff I handcuffed him in a few places but obviously like through 12 weeks he was looking like a dud um he was not doing much but he was leading the team in snaps so throughout all this time I was like all right Jarek McKinnon still has some juice. Let's see how it goes near the end of the year. Because last year, that's what happened with Jarek McKinnon too, right? Like he came on in the playoffs and he just became their workhorse. And now week 13 hit and Jarek McKinnon took off from there. Against Cincinnati, he went eight for 51 on the ground, two catches, nine yards and receiving touchdown. And since then, that's all she wrote. He became a league winning running back against Denver, seven catches, 112 yards and two touchdowns against Houston, eight catches, 70 yards, a touchdown, 52 rushing yards, and a rushing touchdown against Seattle. Three catches, 31 yards, and a touchdown against Denver. Five catches, 52 yards, and two touchdowns. Just absolutely elite RB1 over the last five weeks, which was the end of the season where you needed wins and the playoffs where you needed wins. Just unreal. I know in one of our in one of our leagues, we have a league with, uh, well, my my girlfriend, Tim's wife, Johnny's girlfriend, Jason's girlfriend, a few of our friends, they're in a league together. Um, and the girl, it's like an eight man league. It's, it's a lot of fun. They, they, uh, they love talking about it and talking shit to each other. And the girl who won that league, it's an eight man league snuck in as the sixth seed and thought her team was toast the entire year, but she was able to sneak in and she added Jarek McKinnon late in the year and she rode Jarek McKinnon all the way to a championship. And she's like, yep. she's she can't believe it. <laughs> she's Fire. ecstatic about it. Yeah. And that's that's the type of 
that's the type of like that's what Jarek McKinnon did for several teams. It wasn't Legit. like 100%. yeah, like Jarek McKinnon is going to be on the roster of the team that wins the main event for the FFPC. If I'm not mistaken, like Jarek McKinnon was the was a huge difference maker down the stretch, and he gets the final best pick from my eyes. So I think that's perfect pick. That ends the best picks, which means as we you do get negative. <laughs> yeah, as we do, we're gonna get negative and uh end it with the worst picks, which is the players who ended up being the worst picks this fantasy season in our eyes. Um I'm gonna start it off with the first one, a darling of many, someone I certainly fell for was one of my most rostered wide receivers in best ball. That's the thing with best ball too. You could miss on a pick and still be successful. Like I had an above average advance rate again this year. I made it to the championship in the Pomeranian, despite the fact that I had a very large amount of Elijah Moore. Oh yeah. <laughs> who ends who after a tremendous rookie season, a huge stretch thinking he was going to become like a superstar type of player. He ends the season with 36 catches, 435 receiving yards, and a receiving touchdown. Early in the year, He people thought he'd be a wide receiver too. I thought so. He was being drafted as a wide receiver three. Like You probably started him the first several weeks, which was detrimental. He never surpassed seven and a half fantasy points, and then he was benched, and then he was hardly playing, and he ended up with one game this entire season in double-digit fantasy points, and it was just completely Damn. useless and or detrimenting your team the entire year so detrimental to your team so yeah elijah moore has to be up there as one of the worst picks so like sorry elijah so Moore. you had to make up a verb for him yeah i said detri <laughs> detrimenting is that a thing I yeah like, what am i saying I mean, it right is now, now gonna, for sure I'm, I'm looking it up detrimenting is detrimenting a word no detriments or to the detriment of you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna have to write a letter to webster and try to get detrimenting all up in there <laughs> see elijah moore's sophomore season <laughs> oh and you put it that way you're right <laughs> all right matt hit me with your first uh your first I mean, worst this, pick of the year this one has a little bit extra sting um i am the resident saints fan here but for me i think one of the worst picks is obvious top 24 consensus it got a little higher or a little lower rather when the legal situation was going down but an RB1 guaranteed in a lot of people's minds, and that's Alvin Kamara. And he has since fallen out of that RB1 territory, 14.3 points per game. That is RB14 overall. He's had one, two, three RB1 finishes this season, and one of them came as the RB1 overall, where he had 42.8 against Vegas, but that also makes up around 30% of his total fantasy production this season. And I mean, it's not for lack of opportunity. Kamara had 200 rushing attempts, 791 yards. It's 4.0 for carry. He's not a very efficient or he's an, a, he's a league average rusher. Like Kamara is not a very efficient rusher, but obviously the receptions and the receiving production dropped off a lot. 56 receptions, 487 yards. That's a big step down from his 2020 season where he had 83 for 756 um, in a full season played. And, and last season, obviously some injuries. So take a grain of salt with that receiving production, but four total touchdowns, which would be the lowest of his career. Um, he's never had below six touchdowns in a single season. He's never had below 500 receiving yards in a full season played. It's just, like 
Alvin Kamara is the reason that you call the RBH cliff what it is because 27, you see a significant drop off and no, it's not every running back. Yes. You still get Zeke's and, and yes, there are outliers, but the, there is a vast majority of the percentage of running backs that hit this age, stop producing at that level. And maybe it's a product of the offense that they're on because obviously the saints were dreadful at a lot of points, but it's, a product of the time in the league as well. Just the experience. You can't maintain that production forever. And Alvin Kamara has certainly fallen off. And the return that you're getting in dynasty leagues is detrimenting to the value that you detrimentic put in. baby. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> we got to We got to send streamatorium to Webster's dictionary as well. As well. Yeah. yeah. Um, See Evan Ingram. <laughs> yeah. Massive streamatorium edition. But uh, my second worst pick is a tandem here because this is about the worst tandem that you could find this fantasy season. Um, <clears throat> Russell Wilson of the Denver Broncos. People thought when the Denver Broncos acquired Russell Wilson that this team was Super Bowl bound and that they were set for years to come. And Russell Wilson, I don't know what's going on, but he had an awful season. 3,241 passing yards, just 13 passing touchdowns to 10 interceptions. He was a just despicable fantasy pick. He had two games, the entire, excuse me, three games, the entire year above 17 fantasy points, four games, actually, but four games above 17 fantasy points. Like that's Patrick Holmes. didn't have a single game under 17 fantasy points. He's ended up, ended up bottoming out. as like a low end QB two. He has one game this year, Matt, excuse me. I keep getting it wrong. Two games this year, Matt, with multiple passing touchdowns. Two That's, games with multiple passing touchdowns. That is touchdowns. the ugliest thing I've ever heard. He ended up being just a brutal redraft pick and even more brutal best ball pick because if you drafted him, you likely stacked him with guys like Cortland Sutton, who is my second worst pick, who once the Denver Broncos traded for Russell Wilson, this guy skyrocketed to third, fourth round, being drafted as a top 15 wide receiver. He started the year decently, right? 9.2, and then it all came crashing down where he had that despicable run before his bye week of two catches for 14 yards, three catches for 23 yards, and one catch for 13 yards. After that, he was mediocre, got injured again, and then closed out the year healthy in the semifinals and finals and put up 8.9 and 6.4. Like He ended up being just a a miserable pick at the third, fourth round value as well. Jerry Judy ended up being the better um, option late in the year of those pass catchers. But either way, the Russell Wilson, Cortland I mean, Sutton tandem. <laughs> yeah. The Russ and Sutton tandem. If you stack them or if you just drafted them apart, ended up being a huge, huge loss for your fantasy team in terms of potential output of guys you could have gotten in those positions otherwise. So, yeah, Russ and Sutton here, tandem worst pick. I'm passing it on to you, Matt, for your final. Or is it who went first, me or you? You did. I, went I got first. one okay, more after okay, this. Yeah, your second the, worst pick. You know, I got the the polarizing, the ah, polarizing yes. name I'm drop. excited. Uh, but my second one isn't quite that. It's a little bit of a tandem, and it's a little bit of dynasty game theory here, too. But it's the downfall of Aaron Rodgers and, and Tom Brady as, as viable super flex assets. Um, part of the reason is which is another thing that we'll get into in this next name, but cost acquisition, of course. Uh, I mean, nobody was drafting 
Tom Bra- or Geno Smith before Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers. Nobody was drafting Daniel Jones before Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers. Jared Goff. Um, the list goes on and on and on and on. You could have streamed quarterbacks even in dynasty leagues like Marcus Mariota, Brock Purdy, um, rather than rostering those guys. And now heading into the next season, Aaron Rodgers is likely to stick around on that Packers roster. But uh, I mean, unless they move mountains and and truly acquire a a superstar wide receiver one, there's never going to be a value return higher than a second round draft pick for Aaron Rodgers in any league. And Tom Brady, I don't think you could get much for him at all. Now that the season is over, I don't think you're going to be able to flip Tom Brady for anything. People are genuinely going to want to see if that guy is going to play football again. So now you're left holding the bag on two guys that you spent top 50, get a little stretch on it if your league's, you know, adjusted in Superflex, but top 60 dynasty startup draft value on. Like those guys were going after all the other quarterbacks were left and it was getting to RB dead zone. People were just like, well, I'll draft Tom Brady. I'll draft Aaron Rodgers. Well, you could have had Tony Pollard. You could have had Ramondre Stevenson. You could have waited eight more rounds and gotten Daniel Jones. I think arguably, in my opinion, the two worst picks in Superflex this league or this year, as far as quarterbacks are concerned. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's I, I, really... and I get Russell Wilson, but Russell Wilson has more value than both of those guys combined right now. Yeah. And in super flex leagues, it's really tough to swing and miss on a quarterback badly, <laughs> especially two future Hall of Famers. Yeah. <laughs> like, And they've both finished outside of the top. They're both going to finish outside of the top 15. At least um, at least they're older. So they were likely worth a lot less in uh, in dynasty startup drafts than, uh, than the, the younger things, guys. Yeah, so dynasty startups usually go, you're going to see 15 quarterbacks drafted in the first three rounds, uh, 15 to 16 quarterbacks drafted in the first three rounds, and then a bit of a drop off. And then you get your your Kirk Cousins, who everybody knows is a QB1, but doesn't want to pay QB1 prices for. And then guys like, you know, even Stafford was being drafted much higher. But then guys like Rodgers Brady are in that Kirk Cousins range because people know it's such a short window. But point to that is, now those assets are completely dead and any other QB selected in that range kind of conceding to you is like, you can't miss. It's so hard to miss, miss both in production and the return of value that you can get on the trade market. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I have to assume with his age and the trade to Denver, Russell Wilson had to be going inside the top 15 quarterbacks in some leagues, right? Top 12. Yeah. He's, he's looking like a, a he massive, like a massive 20 super flex pick. Yeah. And I, yeah. but, but I'm, that's kind of where I was saying, like point to that is his value right now. And like, even in the startup that I'm doing is much higher than either Rogers or Brady. Yeah. All right, madam going on to my final worst pick here. <sighs> Unfortunate Mr. Kyle Pitts of the Atlanta Falcons who ends this season with 28 receptions. 356 receiving yards and two touchdowns on the year. Granted, he got injured, but while he was injured, he was averaging seven and a half PPR fantasy points per game. Good for 21st in the league. Despite a 10% target share and being ninth in true target value, it just never came together for him. And Matt, I know Kyle Pitts season was ugly, but I don't know if you know just how ugly a season was. Guess what his catch percentage was? I don't want to. If it's below like 70%, I'm going to hate it. He saw 59 targets on the year, right? 28 receptions. 47 and a half catch percentage, which was last among tight ends, obviously. Yeah. Like that. How do you, I can't even, like, you see Kyle Pitts on the field. How do you have a quarterback playing? 
who can't even get it to him more than half the time he looks his way. And then you wonder why Kyle Pitts sucked this year. I mean, there's certainly but, some man. blame on Mariota there, but that's also inexcusable. Yeah, but, but Kyle Pitts has to go down as one of the worst picks of the year just because he only had two games this year above uh, only two games this year and double digit half PPR fantasy points. And his stock was his draft value was so high because he was a tight end looking to make the leap into the elite tight ends. He was being drafted at the turn in FFPC tight end premium leagues, though first and second round turn in the big tournaments like the main event and the football guys players championship because of his upside. He just absolutely derailed teams. You had to start him every week, basically, too, because of who he was. And then he derailed your teams there because the streaming, as bad as streaming tight ends has been, probably would have worked out better than starting and trusting Kyle Pitts, who was just a, a disaster this season and played more than you probably think. Like he played until week 12, like <laughs> despite the fact yeah. that he got injured, he played the, the like the majority of the season and. It was just a really, really, really rough year for Kyle Pitts, and he ended up being one of the worst picks of the year, unfortunately. So, Matt, hit me with your final worst pick of the year. The one and only, uh, you know, well, I'll just let you say it before we get into it. <laughs> <laughs> it's for me. I, honestly, like in this one fired Tim up. He he didn't really love me, me suggesting this as the worst pick of the year, but it's Kareem Hunt. I honestly like scroll the fantasy pros 2022 ADP and find a worst top 85 pick that played all 16 games. I swear there is not one period. There is not a healthy player that played and suited up for every game of the fantasy season that had a lower output than Kareem Hunt. And that's not hyperbole. That is a stat. He had 102 half PPR points. That's it. It's, he was it's outside the top 15 points man. per game. It's, it's absolutely horrendous. And I mean, it's 3.8 yards per carry. It's 1.9 yards per reception. Like it's, it's, it's the worst efficiency of his entire season too. It's not just the lack of volume. He's always been a lower volume guy in the Cleveland offense. Sure. That volume obviously dissipated into next to nothing with them finally giving Nick Chubb uh, the opportunity share he deservedly deserves um and you know even Chubb seeing a little bit more receiving work this season setting career highs and receptions but Chubb, Kareem Hunt has been just drastically inefficient as well and like I I agree with the Kyle Pitts pick and like yes guys like Debo Samuel Jonathan Taylor very high draft capital were horrendous picks but I really wanted to highlight somebody that he didn't get injured there's no excuse for this there is no like he hurt you because or you could have dropped. Yeah, you could have dropped him. But you also like he was drafted ahead of Tony Pollard, ahead of Ramondre Stevenson, who we've both agreed were surprises in some of the best picks that you could possibly make. So it's not like he was killing your roster with the draft capital, but the players that were drafted around him are killing you in head to head matchups because you don't have them on your roster. Yeah, it was funny because when Matt says Tim was like pushing back on this it means we were like texting about it for a half hour me and matt saying tim what's wrong with you bro because <laughs> tim was just certain that kareem hunt was too late of a pick to be in this to be in this uh batch here of worst picks but i'm with you man outside the top 50 like he was severely in points per game severely detrimenting your team like because and let's you, talk about the fantasy playoffs too. 3.2, yeah. 3.7, 5.2, 0.9. And no, he shouldn't have been on your rosters by that time. But there was no point in the season where 
and Kim's argument was that he was a decent handcuff at the start. If you were, you know, waiting on other 23 points in week one, you don't win a championship in week one. And then 9.4, 9.1, And that was his best stretch by far. Of that the was year. his best stretch by far. And one of my arguments against him was that Kareem Hunt, not only was he bad on the field, but he's an elite level type of handcuff. So you had to, and a lot of leagues, mainly like home leagues are short benches. So you had to hold Kareem Hunt basically the entire year to your team's detriment. Like you could have missed out on someone like Christian Watson or Jarek McKinnon because you just didn't want to part with Kareem Hunt. So even to that extent, he destroyed you. That's a great point too. Like you have to hold him, and and that's kind of like you know beneficial to worst pick because it sucks holding on to a guy knowing that you're just praying for somebody to get injured. Yeah. You're like this. Uh, I'm doing this. Hopefully, Nick Chubb never plays football again. <laughs> like, yeah. But all right, guys. Uh, and Matt, thank you guys for listening. Look, we have a lot of content still coming our way despite the offseason approaching. Of course, we're going to have the betting recap episode. We're going to have some uh, some fun patron episodes. So stay tuned for that or sign up if you're um, if you're considering signing up. We do continue to have. <laughs> yeah, some Jeopardy. Sneak yeah. Peak. Um, so, which is always fun. We've done it a couple years in so a row much now. Fun. But uh, yeah, we're gonna have dynasty content, best ball content, and so much more. So stick around. Um, I'm at Brodo FF Mike Matt. Where could they, could they find you? At Psychward FF. We got at Brodo FF Jason, at Brodo FF Casanova, at Brodo FF Tim, at Brodo Fantasy, and at FF FF times Brodo FF X Brodo on the Twitter on the Twitter sphere um, for the app and download the Fantasy Football by Brodo app if you have not yet. Um, thank you guys for listening this entire season. We will be announcing the patron league winners probably next week. Once we finally figure out what's going to happen with this final game um, between the Bengals and bills, we're just kind of waiting to see what happens there, but patrons are going to get some shout outs next week. Um, party belts coming their way for the champs. And just again, before we go shout out to DeMar Hamlin thoughts and prayers for him and his family. Very, very happy to hear that he is on the, the mend at the moment as they're reporting and just hoping that, um, you know, that continues the fact that he, uh, he has made such progress already is very, very, uh, very good to see. And hopefully that continues and, you know, wishing the best for him. And that's about it, man. Unless you have anything else to add, we are through with our final season review pod of the year. Oh, I mean, pleasure being here. Pleasure as always. Thanks for always listening folks. And, and we'll be back with more. Yeah, Matt's first season as a podcasting regular. It was part intense. Of Roto. It was it was fun, Matt. It was fun. <laughs> oh, I loved it, man. Every minute, honestly. And with that, we bid you guys adieu. Have a good week 18 and looking forward to the playoffs. Later, y'all.